Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, good morning, Gateway. I'm not sure uh, which is my favorite part of that story, the uh, step, 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 or the Uh, My name is Mike Lively. I'm the student pastor here. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, The parable of the Good Samaritan uh, is probably one of the most misinterpreted, most uh, misused uh, parables of Jesus. Uh, And we're going to look at that and we're going to kind of see the story in its context and what Jesus was really doing when he was using uh, this parable. Uh, The Good Samaritan has been uh, locally and internationally been used. Uh, We have companies, ministries that are, have the Samaritan name in them. Here locally, we have, you know, Samaritan Ministries, which is healthcare. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, we have Samaritan Furniture. Not really sure how that fits. But there are other international ministries that fit the bill. And one of those is the most famous one of the ones that we know is uh, Samaritan's Purse. And so the, the idea of going and helping uh, someone in need, uh, this is being played out in ministries and companies. And, and it's a good thing. But is it truly the meaning of the parable? Is it truly why Jesus used this story? Jesus used parables to emphasize, to make a point. And most of the time, those parables, those stories that he was using was to a specific question, a specific person... And looked at that individual and where they were in the encounter that he had with them. And so this story that we encounter, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is no different than that. Let's look at the story. And we're going to kind of look at this thing and we're going to look all the way through it. So let's uh, look at Luke 10, 25 through 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor. The context of the parable of the Good Samaritan is that it is Jesus' response. It's to a personal question or a connection. It, it is he is connecting with this individual in a way in which specifically speaks to him. The way that Jesus does this in this in this questioning is not unusual to the way Jesus has taught. Before and in his encounters with others. In other places in scripture, we see this happen out. The, the, uh, the man, the expert in the law that we see in this story is asking Jesus really a question about how do I inherit in eternal life? And Jesus has these moments elsewhere where he's run into the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, go and sell all of your possessions and then come follow me. He does it with the woman at the well. 
he says, she gets to the point where they're having this conversation. She says, how do I get this living water? Jesus does it with Nicodemus in the middle of the night when Nicodemus comes to him. And finally, Jesus and Nicodemus get into this conversation. And Nicodemus asks him the question, what must we do to be born again? Or how can I be born again? So we see that in Scripture. Jesus has had these encounters He speaks right to where individuals are. Each encounter was focused on the promise of the gospel that we find in Romans 10, 9 through 10. That if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is no different from his moment in time with the expert in the law. The title given to the man as the expert in the law was given uh, specifically right here. Primarily because Jesus was having some problems with some Jewish leaders. They were getting agitated with him. They were getting upset with him. They didn't like what he was doing. And so we have this expert in the law. And I'm sure that the encounter kind of went something like this. Everybody's kind of gathered around, kind of listening to Jesus talk. And he's hearing these things. And all of a sudden this expert in the law says, hey guys, I got him. Leave it to me. I know exactly what to ask. I'll trap him. I'll embarrass him. Won't be able to handle this question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows his heart. Jesus knows that the intent of the question was not to find out what the answer to eternal life was. You see, Jesus knew the heart of these individuals that were coming before him and were questioning him and asking him questions. And there is a passage of scripture in Matthew, specifically Matthew uh, 23, 13. And it's a whole thing where we have the seven woes that Jesus talks towards the Pharisees. And in that conversation, he finally comes down to the point and he calls the Pharisees hypocrites and you brood of vipers. I don't think Jesus is making friends. I don't think he's really getting people, yay, let's go get behind this guy. He's calling out the religious leaders of the day and he's calling them out with a brood of vipers and hypocrites. And it's not sitting very well. So because he knows this and he knows that this is a a trap, he knows this. So what does he do? He asks the question back. What do you say? How does it read to you? You tell me what that means. So if we look at this, we'll look at the expert's answer, which was the daily scripture reading for the Israelites. How he responds to Jesus as to what he is to do is the daily reciting of these two passages of scripture. At camp, at camp this, uh, this last year, or this last summer, we were there at Camp Eagle, and the guy who was the, the guy who was talking, every day he would have the students, he would have the students do, uh, what is called the Shema. And the Shema is this daily prayer. And it comes out of this. And so here's what we're gonna do. Since we got to do the daily prayer together, as a group of students this summer, we're gonna do it together. So let's do that. And this comes out of Deuteronomy 6, 
5 and Leviticus 19, 18, and it is this. Let's do it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what they said to each other when they gathered together, and they would do this together. They would do it individually as they had their time together. So Jesus is saying, you want eternal life? Then obey the law. Do what you just recited. The law is exactly where this guy lives. But the expert couldn't leave it alone, so he had to ask the next question. Who's my neighbor? You might be wondering if we're going to talk about this story as the way it is, and we have an expert in the law, and we have Jesus here. Why is it that at this moment, Jesus is using the law for justification instead of the gospel of grace that Jesus represents. He, he's, he's using the law right here with this expert in the law so that he can hold up a mirror in front of this expert and can say to him this, do you not see what the law says? Do you not see what it takes to be a follower of the law, to be in perfection, it is hard to do. The, the expert in the law should have been in a point of humility at this point to understand that when he sees the law, as Jesus is explaining it to him in this passage, as we talk about it, the expert should look at that and go, there's no way I can do that. I, I can't live my life based upon that because I, I know myself well enough that I don't do those things Every day. So let's look at our parable that Jesus uses to try and convey to the expert of the law the problem with the law and why something else is much greater than just following the law. Let's look at Luke 10 30 through 35. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho. When he's attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You see, Jesus is using a personal lesson with the expert in the law to convey what he's trying to get him to see. So who are the characters in our story? We have the priest. We have the Levites. We have the Samaritan, and we have the half-dead man 
on the road. Now, the priest and the Levite, see, the expert in the law is going to know about these guys. He's running with them. He knows these guys. He knows that a priest is one who has been well-versed in the law. And knows that because he's in the temple every day and he's teaching this. And he says, there's a priest. And he walked to the other side of the road. Why? Well, in the mind of the expert in the law, he's thinking he did the right thing. Because if he touches a dead guy or if he defi- you know, defiles himself by touching something that's unclean, he's going to have to take seven days off of his job. I mean, he just can't go and do that. He can't go and help someone like that because that just takes him out of his element of who he is and what he does and what he represents. And then there's the Levite that walks along and does the same thing. Now, the Levite, coming out of the tribe of Levi, this was a guy who was basically in a subordinate role in the temple. But he would have been well-versed in the scriptures as well. So for each one of these characters that we have in our story, we have a representation. We have a representation of two individuals that are stuck looking at the situation only in the law. These two would also know Then in that same Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage in verse 33 and 34, it says this, If a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. And Micah 6, 8, And what does the Lord require of you to act justly? And to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Each of these guys, they didn't love God. If they really loved God, then they would have looked at the man and they would have gone with compassion and would have gone over and would have helped him. They didn't love their neighbor because if they had loved their neighbor, they would have gone and they would have scooped him up. They would have bandaged his wound. They would have put him on his own donkey. They would have taken him somewhere, spent their own money, and done the things that truly means for us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But that's not what these guys were. They didn't love God and they didn't love man. And when they had the opportunity to do so, there was presented to them an urgent need in front of them. What did they do? They walked to the other side of the road. And for us, this speaks right to us. This is life situation. How do we respond when we see someone in need? Do we move forward or do we do as these two have done and walk to the other side of the road? How do we respond? What holds us back from getting involved? So now in our story, we get to our Good Samaritan. Why a Samaritan? To show love, mercy, grace, and compassion. Well, when I was writing this, I probably had another four pages of notes that was about the history lesson of what was going on in Israel. So I'll just give you a quick overview. And so I have, a, I have a map so you can see what we're talking about here. Oh, and so I got to tell you this morning when we were getting together before this, I was, um, 
uh, I was talking with some guys and Randy came forward and he had a little box. And in this box was a laser pointer. And he offered the laser pointer to me and I said, no, I'm not worthy of the laser pointer. So if we can bring out the 16-foot ladder so I can get up. No, I'm just kidding. So if you look at this map, right underneath, right where the blue and the orange come together, there's uh, Jericho is right in the middle of all that. And right below that, in the orange, is Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, you can see, is not too far from Jericho. And this is the divided kingdoms of Israel. And what that means is that when Solomon died... I mean, all heck broke loose. I mean, the, the ten tribes to the north said, we're going to do our own thing. And they had already been having stuff that's going on with the people around them and integrating with, you know, Bathsheba. I mean, it's just bad. I mean, there was not a great king. If you read the, the kings, you're not going to find one good king that's coming out of the northern kingdom. And so they broke apart. And so the north kingdom, you know, they had prophets coming to them. And the prophets were saying, hey, guys you got to get your stuff together because if you don't get your stuff together, then there's going to, destruction is going to fall on you. It's like, whatever, we're going to keep doing our things because we like what we're doing. And all of a sudden, destruction comes to the northern kingdom and Assyria comes in and they, they assimilate the Jewish people into their culture. They spread them out. They're trying to get rid of the Jews and what they stand for and all that kind of stuff. So culture's going left and right. And then all of a sudden, the south is looking going, we're not doing so bad, are we? Next thing you know, the Babylons are coming in because their kingdom's not doing so good either and they get into exile now this is where we get to the real story the real crux of why this is important for you to know that there's a problem and why jesus uses the samaritan to talk about the jews and the israelites this is why so the so the israelites that go get sent off to babylon see this is a great history lesson but it would take another four pages of notes we're going to do it quick so anyways so the big story here is that they get sent off into exile for 70 years now, by the way, just according to let you know, that's one. That's basically almost two generations of people. That's like, you know, having a grandson come back, right? So, so now they don't really know people, you know. So, so here they come. So they come back and they're going, man, what happened to Israel? All these Jews that got sent back, all these really great Jews, the ones that were the, the, the Jews of the Jews, they're coming back and they're finding their land to just be in utter turmoil. And so here comes the Samaritans, the Jewish ones that kind of got left behind, the ones that started to assimilate and become half-breeds, this is what the Israelites called them. And so they become these half-breeds, and they're like the little cousin that is so excited because cousin's coming. And so in Ezra 4, we see that the cousin comes out when all the good Jews come back, and they go, hey, we'd love to help you build the temple. And then all the good Jews go, look what you've done to our land. You don't get to be a part of any of it. So they go, okay, fine. We don't want to be a part of any of it. So we're going to go to the northern kingdom. We're going to go back up to what we know, and we're going to build our own temple. Yeah, that's what we're going to do, because that's the way we're going to worship. And we're going to have this quasi-Yahweh God that we're going to worship, and he's going to look like what we want to look like, not like the God that we have and we've been serving all these years. So there's tension there. Nobody likes each other. And that's a short version of history. Both tribes, both kingdoms were done. Half-breeds were made. And see, and Jesus knew this. That's the funny thing about this, is that Jesus knew their hearts. He knew exactly what they're thinking. And he even has a moment when he's got a Jewish leader that says to him this in John 8, 48. Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? 
They don't like Jesus. They don't like the Samaritans. And that divide is growing deeper and deeper. And it's why Jesus uses the Samaritan. Because he knows that the expert in the law says, Look, you're using a Samaritan and to me, he has zero value. And Jesus knows this. And so he's going to use the Samaritan to make his point. So what did the good Samaritan represent in our story? The good Samaritan, he represented love and compassion and everything these Jewish leaders were not. Instead of looking at the man and walking to the other side, we see that the good Samaritan, he went to him. He showed compassion. The Bible goes on to say that he bandaged up his wounds. Put him on his own donkey. He took him to an inn. He paid for the expenses with his own money. And he spent the night tending to the man. He even set up an account for future payment to pay it in full. See, the Good Samaritan represents the grace, love, and mercy that Jesus exemplifies to us. We're not, we're not worthy of his love and compassion. We are. We are the half-dead man on the side of the road. We are the one that is waiting for someone to come by, that is waiting for a Savior, if you will, to come by and to save us from our own sin, our own brokenness, and our own despair. And the Good Samaritan represents that Savior. That will come and save us from our own destruction. Psalm 147.3 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus is saying simply this. The law cannot save you. But grace, love, and mercy can. Religion and following law can't save you, but I, Jesus, have come to set you free. I've come to pay the penalty for your brokenness and your sinfulness so that you may be saved. Jesus came as, as He says in Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill it by showing to mankind the way to eternal life. He makes it abundantly clear. It can only come through a relationship with Him because of His death on the cross. So where does that leave us with the Good Samaritan? Just like the Good Samaritan gave His all to save the life of the man, so did God give up His Son to die for sinners who deserve nothing more than to be left on the side of the road for dead. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, But God demonstrated His own love towards us in, while, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Jesus then asks for a personal response to His lesson. He gives the expert an opportunity to answer his own question. Verse 36, which of these do you think 
was a neighbor to the man. And the expert's response was he could not even say the Samaritan. He had to say the one who had mercy. So Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. Now that right there is where we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we realize that what we are called to do based upon what we have known about this passage of Scripture, is that we are to go and bind up the wounds of others and do the good things because that's the right thing to do. That's where the whole parable of the Good Samaritan comes. But that's not what Jesus is saying to us. What Jesus is saying to us when He says, go and do likewise, is to go and be like me. I am a God who is a God of love, mercy, and grace. And I am going to lay down my life for your sinful nature. I want you to go and exemplify who I am. I don't want you to exemplify the ones that are coming before us, that represent the law and religion, because guess what? That's not going to save you. But a relationship with me will. And what I want you to do is that when you leave from this place is that you go and do likewise, is for you to go and be like me. You see why that's the crux of the story? It's because the expert in the law is looking at him and going, you're nothing but a Samaritan and aren't you a demon? And Jesus is saying, go and be like me. Go and exemplify love and compassion. And the expert is stuck because he knows that's, he knows that's not him. In Jesus' personal encounters in Scripture, what we discover when He has the encounters with others is the treasure of their hearts. You see, the story of the Good Samaritan would not have played with the rich young ruler. Wouldn't have made any sense. The rich young ruler was like, okay, great story, good. But when Jesus says to the rich young ruler, when you got all this amassed fortune and he says, go and sell it all and then come find me, guess what? That means something to the rich young ruler. And the same thing is true about the expert in the law. Jesus knew exactly where his heart was. He knew it was rigid and he knew it wasn't full of love and compassion and mercy. And that's why it was going to be hard for the expert in the law to respond to what Jesus was saying and using this parable for. We don't even know the names of the rich young ruler or the woman at the well or the expert in the law. Their identity was found in what their treasure was. So for you and I, what is, what's the treasure of our heart? Are you relying on something or someone else other than Jesus to save you? The expert of the law was relying on his knowledge of the law to save him. The rich young ruler was putting his treasure into the money. The woman at the well was putting her treasure into men. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? What's keeping you from following Jesus with everything that you are. From the tone, the direction, the end of the story, it's pretty safe to say 
that the expert in the law didn't learn what he was supposed to learn. We don't see any kind of redemption piece to this at the end. And the reason why I think that is, is because the Good Samaritan and Jesus represents this love, mercy, and compassion that we are to exemplify every day. And we are asked to give everything of who we are. We're asked to give of ourselves when we see someone need to bind them up and to heal their wounds and to take care of them and to do all those things. We're called to do that. It's a heavy price to pay to follow Jesus. In Luke 9, 23, he says to his disciples, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, d- deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We are to follow Jesus with all our hearts, our souls, and our minds. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But I think, I think we miss the mark if we believe that the Good Samaritan story is a mandate for humanitarianism. I think we miss the mark on it. Because the story is really about this encounter with Jesus and the expert in the law and where he is and his understanding of what does it mean to inherit eternal life. John MacArthur points out in his book, Parables, This is not a simple lesson in etiquette or a manual on how to help the less fortunate, though it has its implications for both charity and good manners. This is not a lesson for children about how to share their toys and be kind to the new kid in class. This was a story told to a religious non-believer, a self-righteous man, as an evangelistic effort to bring him to the true sense of his sinfulness and his need for mercy. It was Jesus' appeal to a doomed but deeply religious soul. Jesus was urging the man to wake up and see how lost he really was. Finish with this. The Good Samaritan parable doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good for others. Don't hear me about that. We should do good for others. But when we do good for others, it will be and should be an outpouring of ourselves because when we realize the great love and compassion that Jesus has for us, we will want to give that away to others. The Samaritan that represents love, mercy, and compassion is Jesus. And He is coming along the roadside. He's coming along your life. He's coming along where you are. And He is binding up your wounds. He is showing you the love and the mercy and the compassion that's not going to come from the law or the religious leaders. And then we're called to go and do likewise. When Christ enters us, when we become a Christ follower, doing good and the things of this world that we need to do, they will become an extension of who we are. We will want to do them because if we are doing and exemplifying the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, those good things will come very naturally to us.
We might have taken a twist on the parable of the Good Samaritan this, this morning. Take a different view, a look at it. So with that different view and that different look, I want you to ask the question of yourself because you might be the person in this room that has not seen Jesus, someone who has love, mercy, and compassion is binding up wounds. I want to encourage you, if you're looking at this story today for the very first time and you're seeing it in a different way, and that you want to, be, you want to respond to Jesus' message to you of love, mercy, and compassion, we will have people down here in front. Our prayer team will be down here in front. Come and speak to them. Talk to them about your heart. Don't let your treasure be anywhere else than in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to share this parable, this passage of Scripture that has meant so much to us over the years. But Lord, it, it is truly about what does it mean to inherit eternal life. And if we're going to do that, Lord, we have to take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow you. And out of that will come a wellspring of love, mercy, and compassion towards those that need to have that. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to share. Thank you for these folks being here. Bless them. And for the one that is here today that needs to respond to the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts and they would be drawn to you and that their lives will be changed forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.